0: Drinking with authors contains adult themes and subjects, including discussions involving
1: alcohol. We ask if you are drinking along, please drink and listen responsibly. Enjoy the show. I does not say been the entire thing;
2: just gestures. Yeah, asked me for time, so and if we need to take breaks, it's a you need to let us know if yeah, you need to yeah, take breaks.
1: Just, just do this gesture right here.
2: Yeah. yeah. Okay. We do a break. Yeah, do. Okay. ready? Welcome to Drinking With Authors. I'm your host, Erica Lance.
1: And I'm Austin Scott Collins.
2: And we're here today with another amazing author. But first, ob- as obviously, we should... That's not even a word. Obviously... We should cover what we're drinking, and we started a little while ago. So I'm drinking Angry Orchard hard cider. Austin, what are you drinking?
1: I am drinking a double shot espresso mixed with Jack Daniels. Wow! Mm-hmm.
2: Way to start off a day. I'm
1: not really sure what my goal is with this. It um, seems contradictory. I'm,
2: I'm hoping your goal is to wake up in a park somewhere, missing most of your clothes, but wearing something that you don't yeah. know where you got it from.
1: Like at the end of an alley, face down in a dumpster next to a dead Chinese acrobat.
2: No, you don't have enough jackdaws for that
1: again. Again,
2: <laughs> I'm told you. I'm not picking you up from there again. Okay. So, we should introduce our amazing author who's joining us, and she can tell us what she's drinking. Austin, do you want to do the introduction?
1: Yeah, so we have a very interesting author this time around. You've got a legal background, and I understand you used to write the animal rights section for Huffington Post.
2: You have to say your name. Oh, is this my turn to talk? This is
0: your turn to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm (laughs) Erin. Erin Greenwood. Erin Greenwood. That's right, I have a last name, too. Um... Yes, and I, I'm drinking water with ice in it. <laughs> wow, how boring! I've already no. been told that it's boring. It's <laughs> now being reinforced here. Yeah, well, okay, now so it's a public. I like her. to stay well, well hydrated. I don't know what to tell you.
1: Well, that's that's a noble goal. I try to yeah. alternate as well. You know, I try to get some water in there from time to time. Uh-huh. So, tell us how you made this really interesting leap, a double leap, if you will, from the legal world, like
0: a like an acrobat.
1: Yes, exactly, like a like a triple backflip with a half twist. And like a sow cow and a triple Lutz, uh, from the legal world to the animal rights activism writing world to being a novelist. And we'll talk about your books here in a minute, but let's talk about your background I mean, you've first.
0: you've heard this story a million times, right? I'm, I know, but nobody <laughs> on this podcast has. Yeah, but this no.
1: is what's called a podcast oh, and you I you tell see. other people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, right. That's what we're doing. Um, yeah, I uh, I went to law school uh, a couple years out of college. Um And even while I was in law school, I was trying to become a writer. Like, I took some writing classes while I was in law school. And the summer that I studied for the bar, I I took a fiction workshop as well because... Why wouldn't you take a fiction workshop in addition to studying for the I feel that's what most farm? legal stuff is anyway. It's, it's a is gigantic a
2: fiction. fiction workshop. Yeah, yeah, I
0: mean, but like a lot of it is. There's a lot of crossover between law and writing because it's words and ideas and arguments and being persuasive and sort of shaping how you see the world, how others see the world. There you go.
1: Okay, so we were talking about how studying law also entails studying lots of other things and perhaps studying fiction is not as much of a deviation as one might think
0: no there's a lot of lawyers who are who want to be writers and there's a lot of writers who eventually go to law school i mean there's there's a lot of crossover between the two professions um and while i was in law school i was doing a lot of different kinds of writing stuff um But I didn't actually know how to earn a living as a writer. That was something that was totally foreign to me. I hadn't grown up really knowing anybody who worked as a writer. I knew people who were lawyers, and, (laughs) you know, that seemed like a job that you could do. Um, But I started meeting people who were writers and learning about how they did it and sort of learning more just about what that all looks like. Um, So I started just trying out different things. I was doing some fiction writing, and I also started doing some freelance journalism, even while working as a lawyer, um, my first one of my first pieces I ever got assigned um, was for a window washing trade magazine writing about a guy who wrote songs about window washers. <laughs> so I was you know, I was wow. always sort of on the, the quirky beat. Um, that's yeah. a
1: that's a subcategory of the It was a super isn't subcategory,
0: isn't it? but it was really fun. I mean it was you know, by being a journalist you just get to be professionally nosy and so <laughs> You know, whatever is kind of interesting to you, you get to go pursue if somebody is willing to pay you to go look into it. Um, That's cool. It would have been just topped off with if
2: he did it naked. Yeah. While singing.
0: We don't know that he did. I'm
2: I'm hoping he did. In my mind, he did. I don't know what he said. I'm just going to go ahead and assume he did. Yeah. Yes. We'll get into into that in the
0: second part (laughs) of this podcast. (laughs) What kind of lawyer were you? I did a bunch of different things. Um, when I graduated, I went to a big law firm where I did kind of corporate litigation. So we represented tobacco companies and other big... Yeah, I know. <laughs> you would I'm never sorry, look at I'm sorry, my eye's got got like, really big. You can't <laughs> see that on the podcast. But I was like, you represented
2: yeah, tobacco yeah, yeah.
0: companies? That was my first job out of law school. No, it's was... great the way you were able to get yeah. your soul back in. That's yeah. good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we were far enough into the tobacco litigation that basically the tobacco companies weren't winning any cases at that point. Mm. So I, I don't know, but it, it definitely was like I, I worked for a very nice firm where everybody was very nice, and you know, it was not one of these terrible places where people are abused or anything like that. But I, I, I don't know, it just it, it was not a great fit. Um, yeah, and I yeah, worked, I can imagine. That. Yeah. <laughs> And I went from there to uh, this little island near Guam where I got hired, the, the Northern Mariana Islands, where I got hired to um, be, uh, do you know what a law clerk is? Yeah. Yeah, so I was a law clerk for their chief justice at the Supreme Court then for a couple of years um, and went from there to the, the Northern Mariana Islands Attorney General's Office where I was in the civil division represented agencies and argued criminal appeals and did stuff like that. Wow. Yeah, so while working on my first novel. Um, what, what, what
1: kind of cases make it all the way to the Supreme Court in the Mariana Allens?
0: I mean, God, you're going to get me so nerdy here right at the beginning. No. So it's like I, we had two levels of court there.
1: Mango ownership issues? I
0: mean, there were there were some very local <laughs> issues, but then it was also just kind of... Any, you know, so they have their their trial court, which is like a state court here, and then the appellate court. So any case that somebody wants to appeal the decision from the trial court gets it gets to the, the state the local Supreme Court it's like a state Supreme Court how many layers are there, yeah. there
1: like between small claims court and the Supreme Court in the Mariana Islands how many like?
0: we didn't have a small claims court there <laughs>
1: Okay, so no, there's like...
0: no claim yeah. was small come obviously. on <laughs> obviously was, yeah. no, we just had, we, so we had our trial court then then decisions from the trial court would get appealed to our Supreme Court um, and then actually because of kind of a quirk of, of territorial law there uh, cases from our Supreme Court could get brought then to the could get appealed to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is very unusual for for state courts.
1: The Ninth Circuit has jurisdiction over the Mariana Islands. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So each of the territories has a has, you know, we have a relationship with the mainland United States, and we're you know some mainland law applies in the territories, some of it doesn't, but but. You know, we are part of the United States. I say we still. I've been gone for a decade now.
2: <laughs> I, I Eleven I this years, literally
0: might be our most educational yeah. podcast. Yet. Right. Yeah, I mean, the
1: history nerd in me wants to know how the Ninth Circuit court inherited the Mariana Islands, but I think we're gonna lose people if I ask this question. So I want to
0: Yeah, yeah. Well they have. you know, they have the Western United States and, and the Northern Marianas are sort of I, I believe the Ninth Circuit has jurisdiction over Hawaii and the, the Marianas are kind of not that far. I mean, they're far, but as far as things go, they're they're closer geographically to Hawaii than and other parts the of the Did the Ninth US. Circuit
1: Court ever reverse a decision by the Supreme Court of the oh Mariana
0: Islands? Oh, my God. <laughs> you know what? I'm sure that they have... But for the life of me, I can't think of what it is right now. That's After I leave, I'm going to look and it And then up. somebody had
1: to give the chicken
0: back. <laughs> right. No, no, I mean, they're like, you joke, you joke. But this is like a real place where people have, you know, legal disputes just like they do anywhere else.
2: And, yeah. Okay, we're going we're gonna to move on to books. <laughs> well,
1: no, hang on, because there's, there's another stage in the segue here. Because you went from doing this yeah. to writing for Huffington Post. So yes. tell us about how that happened.
0: I mean, it, the same way it does for everybody who makes that leap. <laughs> yeah, there was no, a I, drunken night, <laughs> and
2: he, she ran into the top editor <laughs> while her top was removed. <laughs> Waving a Romanian flag. That's it. And and I, I, was had, like, I, I had a double shot
0: you. of
1: espresso with some Jack Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> and so Ariana Huffington actually approached you personally.
2: No,
0: no, no, no. It was I uh, look, I got I got extremely lucky is basically the long and short of it. That I came back to the US I think either in two thousand seven or two thousand eight, I can't remember which exactly. Uh, I had written this book here, my first novel, Tropical Tropical Depression, Depression. which I had had an agent for her and I was very optimistic about it, and then it didn't sell. And I had, like, had this, spun this whole story in my head. I, I thought she was going to sell it. I had this number in my head. I thought I was going to get a $25,000 advance. Hmm. I was going to use that to move to India and write another book that I had sort of wow. designs on writing. That is but very none specific. Happened. It was so <laughs> specific. I was like, I had a plan. This is the first and only time in my life I what, had what a part plan. part of India? <laughs> But, oh, it was this, it was this uh, spice trading town okay. <laughs> in the south, yeah. Were you going to yeah. be a pirate? Because I feel like if you're going to do that, you need to be a pirate. I was. Yeah, awesome! That was, that was part of the plan. Nailed it! Um, yeah, but then none of that happened. And so I was like, well, what do I do now? So I kind of randomly moved to Washington, uh-huh. D.C. because um, my brother and his then fiancé were moving there, and they had broom in their car and said, why don't you come? <laughs> so I like came along with them and... Um, started trying to figure out how I was going to earn a living. I really, I did not want to be a lawyer anymore. I really wanted to find some way to be a writer. I just, I loved writing, and I just really was, you know, desperate to try to pay off my law school loans while working as a writer, because that's really fun. Um, <laughs> that is awesome I, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I, I started picking up just all this different kind of work. I mean, I was, I was writing policy papers for a free market think tank and writing Journalism for a bunch of different publications, and I gotten to write a couple of stories for the local alt-weekly, the Washington City paper. Mm. Um, and I just I loved writing these stories. I loved writing for the City paper. It was a load of fun. And then a reporter who I knew from the City paper moved over to the Huffington Post, and then he became the D.C. bureau chief there, and he was hiring for this new vertical that HuffPost was starting. It was called HuffPost D.C., so he had approached a few different people to come in an interview for jobs with HuffPost DC, and I was one of the people he approached. And yeah, and I ended up just getting very lucky. I got hired on to be the number two at that site, um, and it was when HuffPost had this kind of initiative. They were going to do. They were calling it locals. HuffPost locals. So it was supposed to be these city-based verticals publications that you know we're covering kind of all sorts of stuff about life and whatever just interesting stuff going on in and around the city um but it was sort of you know it was like it was a great gig but it was also a little bit clear that it it probably wasn't going to bring in the sort of traffic that they needed to to make it sustainable in the long term um so after a couple of years uh all the locals editors who they'd hired the reporters and editors to work on these sites they kind of they sort of changed our jobs descriptions and we became basically, I mean, I, this isn't what they call those, but it's how I thought of it, sort of in-house freelancers at mm. HuffPost, which was like the dream job. I, mean, yeah. I was really, I, you know, I will spend the rest of my life thinking about how great that was. But while I was doing that, I had already started writing a lot about animals. I mean, I, when, when I was on the HuffPost DC page, I covered a lot about our local shelters and local rescue groups and animal welfare issues that were going around. And, you know, I'd always loved animals. I mean, I, you know, I'm like a lifelong vegetarian because I just couldn't stand eating animals. And, you know, I'm like the little kid who used to run up to every stray dog and be like, come love me. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just, am obsessed with animals, but I'd never really written about them that much. And, and, I just started doing it while we were on HuffPost, D.C., and those stories always seemed to do very well. So, you know, that was an indication that there was reader interest in this. And also, I just, I just loved doing it. And, you know, and I started hearing back from a lot of people who work in the animal welfare world and shelters and rescues that, like, that these stories were actually making a difference to them, too, that it was, you know, helping draw attention to the shelters and their animals and the issues right. that involved them. Um, so when we got switched over to being sort of the in-house freelancers, I was just like, well, here's my moment. I'm just gonna write about animals. <laughs> so that's all I that's
1: the stories probably came to you at that they, point, right? Yeah, because people yeah, had yeah. stories they wanted told.
0: Oh yeah. I mean I had started developing just great contacts um in the, the animal welfare world all over the country and you know the more of these stories I wrote, the richer I discovered this world was and I just fell completely in love. And you know i just sort of took it upon myself nobody said you can you can just write about animals now i just decided i'm just going to write about animals now <laughs> and, and
1: you've got this legal background so yeah, a, a yeah, lot yeah. of the stuff you write about mm-hmm. has a legal angle because for example breed specific legislation yep. you can you can write about stuff like that yeah. from a, a point of knowledge right
0: yeah 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 the legal issues involving animals the you know, the social issues involving animals, the, the human issues involving animals, the fun. <laughs> you know, it's like it's just an incredibly rich beat, and I loved it. And eventually, you know, I pestered the, the powers that be long enough that they changed my job title to Animal Welfare Editor, <laughs> because that was actually what I was doing. And it was, yeah, it was just, it was, it was beautiful. I feel very, very lucky that I got to do that. Yeah. And then...
1: And then... So, novels. So the let, first Let's novel. talk about novels, yes. Sure. We already mentioned Tropical Depression. This mm-hmm. was number one.
2: That was my first one. Yeah. What is trope,
0: Tropical, deper, drinking, drinking, tropical yeah. Depression about?
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> give, okay.
0: us, give us the high-level uh, summary. So you're, you're not going to believe this, given my background, but it is <laughs> about this young lawyer from New York who moves to a tropical island <laughs> where adventures ensue. <laughs>
1: So sounds really? like a stretch. I mean, yeah. it
0: was, I made the whole thing up. It's fantasy, <laughs> <laughs> not based on any real life I, events know, whatsoever. Never, I, this is what I usually do. Ta- it's like it's definitely fiction. I mean, it is a hundred percent fiction. For example, the main character is five foot two instead of five feet. So, oh like,
2: yeah! <laughs> wow, you didn't even go like five, five. We're like, you know
0: what? Kitten pumps. we we're, we're like, kitten pumps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean it really, it really, truly is fiction. I would say the first draft of this book was very much not fiction, and then the the person who eventually became my agent—she's not my agent. I have a different agent now. But the person who eventually became my agent saw a draft of it and was like. There's too many characters and not enough happens. You need what's called a plot. <laughs> you know? Wow, that's a, a what? Yeah, yeah, a pl- yeah, I know, exactly. And yeah. you didn't just immediately hang up on that person? No, no. I heard about
2: this plot thing. Yeah, I've Aaron's never heard of right, it. No, actually, I did hear it derogatorily Sounds discussed. Yeah. It's vague.
0: It's <laughs> fake news. <Exactly>. fake news. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's spelled P-L-O-T. You can look it You're up. Somebody no, I think, I like think it's got two
1: T's and an yeah. E, actually. I think it's... Plot. Plot. Okay. Uh, actually, it's it, it's French. It's pronounced pleu.
0: Yeah. No, that's, it. that's how she said it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the end version of it, which eventually got published by, like... When I say indie, I mean... This was just like a guy who decided he wanted to publish a book, and I had a book, and I was like, nothing is happening with this book. <laughs> you can publish it if you want, and this became my first published book. Like, that,
1: that, that definitely, I mean, that's a pretty common experience. The first book is like the first pancake, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Never comes out right.
2: Burnt on the edges.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's burnt, it's burnt on the outside, it's yeah. running on the inside. Yeah. yeah. Or like the first marriage, yeah. Yeah. Birth oh, on the outside, goodness. running on the inside. <laughs> too dark. Way too dark. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> too, soon. too soon. Your first murder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your first, you don't cover up the right. evidence properly. And that's it's
2: right. like,
0: just talk, some guy.
1: Alibi is full of holes. Yeah, the first m- murder is never a good one. I told you, you not know. to talk about that
2: on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, yeah I'm sorry.
1: I'm okay. sorry.
0: Okay. We'll it's okay. I'm a, I'm a lawyer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not
2: going to help us here.
1: Former okay. lawyer. <laughs> so let's talk about Save the Enemy.
0: Save the Enemy. Can I tell you, this is. This title still is like... So the first book was published, I think, in 2013, something like that, um, by, as I said, just this guy. And it was like, you know, we had had such ambitions. We had, like, he and I would strategize late at night. Oh, there's going to be a book tour, blah, blah, blah. It turned out, like, there was not even enough money to, like, print out a lot of copies of it. It was, you know, it was like a super, super indie situation. But it somehow got into the hands of the person who became my editor for the next two books, um, who was starting out a young adult imprint at a kind of established indie publisher in New York. It's a, like it's an independent publisher that distributes through Penguin random house. So it's like, you know, it's like a real New York publisher and he'd somehow got a copy of tropical depression and read it and liked it and reached out to me and said, I'm starting this imprint. Would you like to write a book for me? And I was like, yes, (laughs) I would like to write a book for you. Um, so he, I mean, it's so funny. I, like, I didn't know anything. I knew nothing about any. So he handed me a list of story ideas that they had generated in-house and said, do you like any of these? And I said, so they sure, gave, yeah. They gave you the story They gave ideas. me the story idea for this. Yeah. So um,
1: do you see anything in the box you like? <laughs>
0: yeah, basically, basically. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, I can do this. <laughs> yeah, why not? So I picked one of them and we worked on the book together and, um, you know, it's this, I mean, I, I don't know. It's like, I, I i have such mixed feelings about this book. Like, I, <laughs> I love her in some ways. There are parts of her that I think are really wonderful, and other parts her are just like... Her meaning the
1: protagonist? Uh, what's that? Her meaning the protagonist? No, the,
0: her meaning the book. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The book is a female. Is that's interesting. Yeah.
1: Your book is gendered. That's, that's yeah. interesting. Uh,
2: what gender is the first book? She, they're all, all, they're all girls. Yeah. Okay. Wasn't yeah. sure. Just want to make sure we had use of the correct pronoun. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah. So save
0: the enemy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Save is, our, what the, is save the enemy about? Oh my goodness. What is it about? It's about this girl and who has moved to old town Alexandria with her family. She doesn't want to be there. She has a brother who's on the spectrum. Who's this sort of genius who takes up all the oxygen in the room. Mm. (laughs) Um, And her mother has just been killed in this vicious way. And she and then her father goes missing and she and her brother have to go try to figure out where he is and find him. And they, you know, but she's also kind of a scatterbrained teenager who like wants to go to a party instead of going to look (laughs) for her father. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the two of them sort of trying to figure out what happened and where he is and uncovering family secrets and Wow! Yeah, yeah. It's sort of it's sort of goofy, though, at the same time. And I had pushed for the title to be the awful awful because part of what they do is they go in search of this milkshake called the awful awful, um, and my publisher said no, we cannot name a book awful. Um, <laughs> well,
1: you yeah. know, sometimes publishers do have good ideas. I guess so, I
0: don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think the awful awful would have been a fantastic title. <laughs> I think so too. And you know what? I feel like. I feel like it would have indicated to people who wanted a goofy book that here is a goofy book you can read, and I feel like Save the Enemy was like, it indicated here is a very serious thriller, and in my life, I don't think I will ever write a very serious thriller. <laughs> just, well, and you mentioned yeah.
1: young adult, you mentioned young adult, yeah. so how do, you, how do you define your genre territory?
0: Um, I don't know, that's a good question. Uh I mean, I, my last two books have both been young adult. My first book was not young adult. Um, I'm working on another book now that I guess is still a young adult. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's story-based. I mean, you know?
1: have you have overlapping Venn diagrams, right? You have elements. So what, I yeah. mean, what, do you, what do you think sort of stakes out where you thrive as an author?
0: Dogs, I mean. I
1: mean, dogs, yeah. yeah. I think we can assume dogs are like the point of origin for everything yeah. here.
0: yeah, yeah. Although my third book, Your Robot Dog Will Die, was the only one of these three um, that is really specifically about a dog, even though all three have dogs in them, and the book that I'm working on now is also about a dog. Do you have a title for it yet? For the one that I'm working on now? (sighs) That's a good question. So the (laughs) title that I have been going with is... The the, Awful Awful. No. (laughs) The Awful Awful Finally, one day. (laughs) I will produce this book. Damn it, I'm going to write that book one day. (laughs) No, this one, I, it's got a couple titles that I'm working with right now. One is Big Pitbull, um, which is the title that I kind of had in mind, which I love, but I also feel like, I don't know, I don't know if it's going to draw in people in the way that it needs to. Um, another working title is Alice Lost and Found. Um, mm, I yeah, like that one. yeah, I kind of like that one too. I like yeah. that one.
2: I will vote. We vote for that one. Yeah.
0: Okay. If that matters, it,
2: it shouldn't at all. But no, it definitely high, does. hypothetically that. Yeah, that's
1: like fun. my my initial response. Like we're a focus group, right? We yeah. are. Right. My initial response yeah. is positive. A
2: drunken focus group. A
0: drunken. Yeah. You guys are my target audience. So,
1: <laughs> so I, I noticed that so Drunken far, podcasters. It seems
0: like, yes. yes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> drunken podcasters unite. Yes. <laughs> there's
1: elements of mystery. There's elements of crime, and yeah. it sounds like it's very character driven. Yes. and it sounds like a lot of you know quirky, sort of mm-hmm. offbeat, mm-hmm. slightly misfit, yeah, like on the boundaries of society. Okay. These these are kind of like all themes that yeah. we're, God, we're this seeing is over like and over a therapy again.
0: session now. So <laughs> yes, Austin.
1: <laughs> let's let's segue into your yeah. robot dog will die, yes. which is like the big deal that's been getting everybody's attention. And when we first did. sit down with you the first time around uh it was to talk about your robot dog Mm -hmm. will die this is the first book of yours that i bought yeah and uh so give us kind of a high level overview of this uh, this really interesting sort of semi sci-fi premise that you've got about our relationship with pets in the future
0: yeah so your robot dog will die this is like this is my heart book you know of the of the three books that have come out so far this is the one where i just feel like you know, this is my book, and, like, you, you know, hopefully you'll love it, but, like, I love it, and I, I hope you'll love it. It's, uh, it's set in the near future where dogs are nearly extinct. It's set at a, at, a, at an island that, if you've ever been to Gulfport, Florida, mm-hmm. might seem vaguely familiar to you. Okay. Um, that is an island, even yeah, though it's a part of a peninsula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but in the future, with climate change and oceans rising, it's an island. Oh, um, good to know. Yeah, it just I don't know if you're aware. No, um, but
2: we <laughs> should notify some people. Hey, <laughs> yeah. hey, Gulf
0: I think yes.
2: that's the thing. Gulf pay attention. You're, right. you're probably gonna die. Is okay, it, good. <laughs> Gulf or Gulf Portians?
1: Gulf Portions, perhaps. Gulf Portions. Gulf. Yeah. I like that.
2: Oh yes. I don't know. You Gulf- know what? Comment in the podcast on Twitter for yeah. us and let us know how we're pronouncing it incorrectly. But go ahead. Oh, sure.
0: So so uh, this is the setting for a sanctuary that's home to the last dogs on Earth, and mm. also some newfangled robot dogs. The the few people who live on this island at this sanctuary and take care of the real dogs are also kind of the focus group, the test market for new versions of robot dogs, which have been created to kind of replace the living things, which are going extinct and right. because of climate change and for other reasons. Um and our main character uh, Nano um, I'll tell you about that name in a second because I know <laughs> it sounds like it's like a futuristic sort of a name but it's actually a personal name um, <laughs> Yeah, she she discovers something that uh, this happens early in the book so it's not giving away too much um, she discovers a puppy who's where the puppy is not supposed to be and the puppy is wagging its tail which dogs aren't supposed to do anymore and this sort of, this sort of sets her out to uncover a bunch of secrets at Dog Island, which is the sanctuary, and in the world, and she has to kind of set out from home in order to to see the world and save the dogs and save her family. Oh, wow. Yeah.
2: And, and you know,
1: we're, we're recording this in November 2019, and I just want to mention, November 2019 is the month and year in which Blade Runner is set.
0: Yeah.
2: Really? Talking,
1: yes. Yes, so effective mm-hmm. immediately, Blade Runner is no longer set in the future. But it's interesting because we're <laughs> talking about basically replicant dogs, yeah. right? So did you uh, did you read uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? You know, I Philip haven't read King-Dick. it.
0: Yeah, I've seen Blade Runner, but I haven't read the the source material.
1: Mm-hmm. W- yeah. Was that uh, an inspiration to the movie? Uh,
0: no, I mean it's it's. I write much goofier stuff, <laughs> you know. I, I'm not. I, I'm. I'm if there's a Blade lot of runners and meant yeah. back
2: to the future right. yeah. <laughs> right. that's that, yeah, the yeah. basis
0: yeah and i, I mean th- it's very heartfelt you know but it's, it's like heartfelt and goofy i think more than
2: yeah <laughs> okay well on that note we're gonna take a quick break we'll be back in just a moment
1: Okay, you're just eating cheese. I'm eating okay. cheese and we're back. And we are back. We are talking with Erin Greenwood, whose newest book is Your Robot Dog Will Die. So we were talking about the the underlying premise behind this book about a future where dogs are nearly extinct. So tell us more.
2: Well, you were gonna tell us about Nano. Tell us about Nano, the name of the lead character.
0: Yeah, so I I think most people have assumed that her name is Nano. Because it's a technology thing or a computer thing. Like a nanobite? Exactly, yeah. But actually, it's a, she's named for my grandmother. Um, Your yeah. Grandmother's was, name was nanobite?
1: She was very small. No, no,
0: I'm don't talk same. like that um, about my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> she was normal-sized. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> the quote of the podcast, yeah. my grandmother was normal-sized. Like my grandmother yeah. was
1: normal-sized.
0: No, I was, and so I, this is very sad but uh, my grandparents all I didn't I didn't grow up with grandparents they were they all had health problems and died before I was born or when I was very young except my mother's mother and I was the oldest grandchild on that side and I, you know and I so I was the one who got to name her basically and I couldn't say Nana which is what she wanted mm-hmm. to be called so I called her Nano um, and then all the grandkids called her Nano, and that was that was just her name. And that is awesome, yeah. though. So, yeah. so the name is a tribute. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah.
2: Is, that is beautiful.
0: Yeah, thank you. For your normal size. For my normal. She was wonderful.
1: Oh, yeah. grandmother. For normal size yeah. grandmother. Mm-hmm.
2: That, yeah.
0: That,
2: I'm just. You're making a mess over
1: here. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We're going to have
1: to cut you off and close the bar. So it's too bad this doesn't come with visuals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, actually, it's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's why it's a podcast and not a TV <laughs> show. Or... Okay, so you were telling us about this premise. So please go on. So dogs are nearly extinct, yeah. and it's a perhaps Gulfport-esque location in the future. <laughs> and we've got a shelter facility where they are sort of market-testing these shall we call them replicant dogs robot no, no, dogs they're robot
0: dogs yeah so there's a there's a company called mechanical tail um that creates robot dogs and and some robot cats as well and that well, are that
2: just sounds disastrous
0: <laughs> normal cats but are they're, terrible yeah but they they're there to provide companionship and and fill the hole that people have in their lives without being able to to keep dogs in their homes um And the people who live on Dog Island, there's a couple dozen families who live on Dog Island and they they are the ones who get the new generation of robot dog every time there is one so that they can sort of beta test it and say what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, then they go through this heartbreaking ritual of having the robot dog that they've grown attached to get taken away. Um, because it has to be replaced with the new model, so that they can then beta test it again. Um, wow. Yeah. So. Where,
2: where did you come up with this this concept? Because it's awesome, but like, what made you? Where did where did this come? Obviously, it wasn't like book
0: two, where they handed right. you a list and no, it made no. you choose. <laughs> yeah, so, no, no, this is all me. Yes. Yeah, so, where is, did you come up with is this? This was my sentimental dark mind. <laughs> um, yeah, So I came up with this. I. I have been I came up with this idea while I was working as animal welfare editor at the Huffington Post. Um, and I, you know, we're at a really exciting time in animal welfare where, you know, we are sort of figuring out how to save almost all the animals that come into shelters every year. But there's still some, you know, there's still debate, like good good faith debate in the animal welfare world about, you know, what you do with animals who don't find homes Um and I sort of belong to the progressive animal welfare movement that believes we do everything humanly possible to place all animals in homes. But there's another, you know, there's there's another side that says, well, the kindest thing that you can do is, you know, what, what you don't want to say. Put them um, down, right? Yeah. I'm going to say it out loud. Yeah, and, and you know, I've been writing a lot about these different philosophies and, and coming to my own thoughts about them and just... You know, in in exploring this deeply in journalism, I realized that there were some ideas that I had to kind of explore in fiction to really be able to come to understand what I was really thinking and try to try to solidify my own thoughts and also just try to just try to explore what this what these things really mean um, if if you if you let them go. You know, what what does this mean? What does it look like if you think that? The world is too harsh for animals. You know what? What does the world end up looking like if you think it's kinder for animals not to exist because the world is just too hard for them? Um, and so I created this world where dogs are all but extinct because of that, um, and then just tried to see what would what would happen to the people who live there and what would happen to the remaining dogs and, you know, how do we feel hope? Also, I mean, I'm by nature sort of. Sort of a, a weepy optimist, I guess, is yeah, how you're I would very describe sunny. myself. Sunny is,
1: I think, a term yeah. that almost everyone applies to you.
0: Oh, that's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, like a weepy optimist, I mean that—that's sort of how I think of myself, and you know, and so like, how would how would I come up with a resolution to that state of things, that obviously unacceptable state of things, where we don't have animal companions anymore because we have driven them nearly extinct, yeah. and. You know, how do, how do I make that better? How do I fix that? And how do I give these characters the power to fix that? Science what fiction is such a through?
1: wonderful means for that, isn't yeah. it? Because you can take an idea that's, you know, kind of abstract, maybe kind of difficult for people, yeah. but by putting it in a slightly different reality, you know, in, yeah. the, in the same manner of, you know, Gene Roddenberry, right? Just put it on a different planet or put it in a different, you know, time frame. Yeah. And you can talk about these things, in a, you know, in a metaphorical way, perhaps, and, uh, I mean, was that, was that a little bit difficult? I mean, because you're obviously, you're, you're delving into some pretty deep emotional territory here. Or was it really satisfying to finally be able to, you know, discuss these things openly using, using maybe the, the frame of technology, right?
0: I mean, I would say it was both. You know, like I, I the first, the very first scene in the book is a scene where Nano is having her latest robot dog model taken away from her. And she's feeling this incredible grief. You know, and also being told that this ritualized grief is, you know, for the good of the community. And, it, you know, that's usually the, the scene that I read when I'm doing a reading. And I... I swear I end up weeping myself, which is really undignified, you know? It's um,
1: cathartic, right? It's,
0: no, it's not, because I go through it every time.
2: So, yeah, so, so. you're talking to somebody who just built wine cooler on herself <laughs> in a podcast, so you're, whatever you do is not undignified at all. I mean, we each have our things, you know? I'm glad that's my thing. My monster is that... Erin says, deeply emotional place speaking for something she's very passionate about. <laughs> Erica says, she can spill her apple cider on herself. I mean, we both have the things that we love. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think there's room for both of us here.
1: I've <laughs> i I've been there, and I have I've seen you read, and I can confirm this does happen. You oh, just yeah. you, you it's get really I mean, no, it's it's beautiful. I mean, if I may say, because it's like not everyone has that much of an emotional connection to the story they're telling. I think that really I guess so. I think that's something to be proud of and something to cling to. And you've actually gotten a lot of really positive critical response from this book, haven't you?
0: Yeah, people have been really nice. I mean, the thing that's the thing that's meant the most to me. I, you know, obviously, you always hope to reach a lot of readers, and you know, my my secret goal in writing this book was to get new people interested in in not just in this story, but also in in animals. And you know, what I'd hoped is that a lot of people would read the book and then decide that they wanted to go adopt a dog afterwards. <laughs> um, but yeah, I what, what means a lot to me is I've heard a lot from people in the kind of animal welfare community that they feel like they they see themselves you know and that's that's really meant a lot
2: yeah i think it's awesome because i think whether you um necessarily get the feedback that you wanted on the book that feedback could be occurring for every person that picks up the book the thing about reviews or communication is it's a big step i think for people to reach out and talk to somebody and talk to an author Especially if they're not 100% sure where they came from on it. So anyone listening to this podcast that buys this book and decides to go adopt a dog... You're going to have the contact information from Erin in the notes of this podcast. I insist you write her and tell her her book worked <laughs> so she can hang that email up and know that she at least reached one person to cause that to occur.
1: And send her a picture of your dog. Oh, God,
0: <laughs> oh please. yeah. You have to. Or please let her come do. over and pet your dog. Oh, that, that would be, be even, better. even better. Yeah, invite me over. I want to pet your dog. <laughs> Did that sound desperate? <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, I yeah, reach out. I'm People used to, I, look, I work in a behind-the-scenes job now, so my name isn't out in front of people where they're, you know, responding to my stories all the time anymore, but it used to be that my inbox was literally full of people sending me stories about their animals, and it just, like, it, it made me so happy, and I, it's one of the things that I miss about being in a more behind-the-scenes job now, but... Yeah, if you if you have a dog and you love your dog, like, please reach out. <laughs> I want to see your dog. Or cat. Or She's cat, a cat person yeah. too. Or pig. So. If, if I mean, if you love an animals. animal of any kind, yeah, you can send And you to love her. this animal, like, you want to tell me about your animal. I mean, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here waiting. A sugar
1: glider, a badger. Yeah.
0: Although, be careful with exotic animals because there's a lot of, you know, to there's, there's a lot of cruelty behind the scenes, and it's hard to take care of them well, but yeah. No, I think that's that's
2: accurate, too, is, um, yeah, I, I know many people with weird exotic animals, and I'm like, I don't know why you thought getting a giant three-foot rat was a good plan, but that's not a good plan. Yeah. That's for another podcast, though. Tell us um, <laughs> a little bit about um, your process, your, like, writing process, so... You have three books. Yeah. Did you, you, like, this is normally a question Austin would ask. I don't know why I'm doing it other than I spilled the drink on myself so I have to recover. (laughs) No more rules. (laughs) And looking like I... I It's anarchy. It's anarchy. (laughs) Chaos. So, um... It's Thunderdome. (laughs) Bring in the clowns. Um, Tell us about your process. That was Judy
1: Collins. That wasn't Thunderdome. You know (laughs) what
2: There's a lot of judgment at this table, not from our guests. I'm just gonna say that. No, I love you guys. <laughs> we love you and our surprises.
1: Erin, tell us about your writing process. Oh, my writing
0: process. <laughs>
2: Damn it!
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I think I think it's probably a fairly typical process, which is I spend every moment that I'm not writing thinking about whatever it is that I should want to be working on, and then when I sit down to write, I find online scrabble to be extremely <laughs> compelling you
1: clean the house oh
0: my god yeah my my bathroom is never so clean as when i'm on deadline um, <laughs> yeah no i mean my process is basically i start walking around i start getting little like glimmers of a character a situation you know a setting like the the bits of it start coming together in my head and i start feeling them want to like be expressed and then I will sit down and usually the first you know the first couple chapters are just like I'm making typing noises as I make that that wasn't a gun from Star
1: Wars (laughs) so so you're writing chronologically you begin at the beginning yeah
0: I begin at the beginning and I start writing and then I keep a a separate file with notes and with bits that I've cut and then usually around chapter three I'm like oh man what about this other book that Mm -hmm. I could be working on (laughs) um (laughs) Yeah. And then and you're it's like, no brain. No. Later. Yeah, exactly. And then and then comes the part that I feel like, I don't know, this is probably like the thing that every writer understands and that people who are not writers probably find, I don't know, maybe reassuring to hear. <laughs> but it's just the like the ass in seat part of it. That's the part where you just sit down and you have to make yourself sit at the computer and keep working. And it doesn't always feel good. And it's not, <laughs> it's not that fun. Um, but it's, you know, it's I guess working on my fourth book now I just accept this is part of the process. It's the part where you just have to sit there and make yourself keep working even when you would really rather be doing something else and you can't tell if it's any good or not anymore and <laughs> you know you're just kind of lost in it but usually at some point I start then seeing the end of it in my head and then I'm writing toward the end <laughs> trying to like get to that thing that I think is going to make it resolve and where where I feel like the characters should be and and um yeah, and then and that's the first draft, you know, and I <laughs> I like I, I found um have you read Annie Lamont's Bird by Bird? Mm,
1: yes. Excellent, excellent yeah. book. I highly recommend it.
2: So I I've, just got given this book. That, it is just literally pulled it out of a package. That, that book exam- was
1: actually given to me by Karen Hawkins. And she said, Dun, dun, dun. I wasn't sure
2: if you were a musical accompaniment for that. Can can we? (laughs) Pew, pew, pew. Can can we add
1: that I'm asking our producer, can we add that in? Can we add that in later? Um, Yeah, what will that dramatic chord there? But no, she gave me this book and she said, seriously, you have to read this. It's amazing. And I agree, it is. so
2: Well, now I'm going to read it. A friend of mine got it for me for my birthday, along with a bottle of gin and Mm -hmm. recipes for writers for alcoholic beverages. That's a nice friend. Yes, he's an amazing friend. but sounds like a
1: good fit. For yes. this podcast, yes. Actually. No, actually, I'm getting all the it, notes.
2: Yes, so I'm thinking that uh, anyway. I need to read that, but yeah. we're, we're digressing because we are drinking. what so just what, no, no, what happens. No, guys- no don't <laughs> allow us to go. Do not allow us to go off the podcast. reservation. <laughs> You're our guest, though. Trust me. No, I, I want to know how
1: far along are you when you know how it ends? I mean, do you start knowing how the whole thing is going to go?
0: Um, or you know, I would say for the first two books. I did not, and I really... Like, for the first book, for Tropical Depression, I think... I I wrote it, I came up with the end, I didn't like the end. Like, I kept rewriting the end, and then finally I got to what was like, oh, yeah, no, this is right. This is the right end. Um, With Save the Enemy, we went... My editor and I kind of went through and came up with a bunch of different endings, and, Mm. you know, and to this day, I'm not... I feel like I keep bad mouthing this book. You were really good to me, Save the Enemy. I don't know why I'm like... But
2: not yeah. as good as the last book. <laughs> you're the middle child. You, the middle
0: child. But you I, are the I Jan I of this. I just want you to know I appreciate you, book. <laughs> okay. I, I feel like no, I'm just a, like So trash you on. literally
1: had like an array of like choose your own adventure endings like spread no, out on the table. So I mean, much. I mean
0: it was, you know, it's like writing an ending and then you're like, oh, this doesn't feel right, and mm-hmm. deleting the ending and then writing mm-hmm. that. But for your robot dog will die, I would say about halfway through, I knew what I wanted it to end on. Where um, this was going? Yeah. And I could see the ending, and it, like, it filled me with joy to, mm. yeah, and I was like, oh, this feels right, and with the book that I'm writing on, I'm writing now, too, it was pretty early in the process that I saw the end that was right, and I don't know if this is me maturing as a writer, or if this is just, like, these books came into my head more fully formed, or you know I, I don't know what it is but yeah well you are maturing
1: as a writer because you can't help it right but that's the, I hope so. that's the awful thing isn't it that the better you get the more disgusted you become with your previous work yeah. i think that's like the curse of every writer What's is you that mean, though? you know you you write a book and then you write another book, and you write another book, and you look back at, you know, the book that you wrote, you know, three books ago, yeah. and you're like, oh, man, why did I do that? You yeah. know, you're never happy with your previous decision. I mean, like, I'm not. Yeah. Maybe, well, maybe other people are, and I'm I not. I think
2: that can be a curse <laughs> of an author, too, sometimes in being unable to finish. So it's one thing I always tell authors, like, you have to be done at some point. You have to be done, right. and you have to publish your yep. work, because I yeah, think have a lot of authors— get into the rewrites like I I'm actually not a rewrite author Mm -hmm. I won't go back and rewrite the book Mm -hmm. um, more than the time through like I'll beta readers I'll fix what the beta reader said but I will not do that to myself because it took me eight years to get my first book out right because I kept doing that and so I think you know when you look back at the work it, it it is what it is and if you get to the point of. Stephen King and you want to go back and rewrite some book of yours I don't think so because that's not a story you want to necessarily retell again you just have to go cool that was where that one went and move on so I, I think it's normal for us to any art of any kind to look back at your first painting your first sculpture your first poetry I mean we all did poetry in school Let's not talk about our middle school poetry for a moment here. I can't believe I, you brought that up. I am because posted I posted your middle ask. school <laughs> poetry online. What no, is your... No, no, my, my middle school poetry is uh, terrible. Maybe at some point we'll read it on the podcast. Yeah, speaking
1: but, of things you regret writing, oh my God.
2: And, I, you know, I, I think that that is the joy of doing it and finding the new stories. But I do think it's interesting because what you do is not... A typical writer situation where you go back and you... I mean, when you're writing, then you see it. Because writers are all different. Um, A lot of people know where their story is going to end. And then they have to figure out how to fill in the Mm -hmm. pieces to get to the ending or other authors I talk to it's the character that's like mm-hmm. talking to them and they take that path of where the character goes and I'm always inter- I always think it's interesting when people say they're surprised by what their character did like okay. they're, they're it's their character they're yeah. writing it but they're like writing it and then they get surprised by the direction and I'm like Multi-personality? No, that happens
0: all the time, though. Don't you... I mean, don't you find that, that, like, your fingers are just moving along (laughs) and you're looking, you're like... Oh, I'm possessed. I just... So I'm working on rewrites on on whatever we're calling it, Big Pitbull or Alice. Book, um, book number four. Book number four, yeah. Book the fourth. Yeah, yeah. And so I, you know, my I wrote a first draft, but we don't have a publisher for it yet, but I wrote a first draft and my agent read it and she had a bunch of ideas for how to strengthen it before she tries to sell it, so I'm working on that right now. So, you know, uh, going through again and, like, I just wrote a breakup scene that I wasn't expecting mm. and it was, you know, it was like it just sort of came out and, I find the writing process even this long into it. i it feels so weird saying this, but it is such a like a mysterious and strange process, like such a mix of of kind of spontaneous creative stuff, but also like deeply analytical and logical stuff. I mean, you always have these two parts of your brain that are working at the same time on whatever you're working on, you know? and I, I don't know how it works. I don't know why it works. I don't know how it makes sense. That's um, that's
1: true. It is. It's both yeah. very deeply analytical and disciplined because yeah. you're using language. It has to make sense. Mm-hmm. You have to follow. You know the the, the rules.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, but at the same time, it's coming from this. You know, place of improvisation. You know, from you know deep within your cerebral cortex, and you have no idea really. It's like, okay, how is this going to work? I know what has to come out the end of the pipe, but I don't exactly, oh, wait, I know. Yeah. And this, like, you know,
0: flash of. Yeah. And you're like, brain, what are you doing? Like, what is, yeah.
1: yeah. And it's, Strap and yourself it's, in. It's going to be a wild ride. right? It's and like, another okay, time you brain, just let's go
0: sit and play online <laughs> for four hours. But, you know, I, I don't understand how. I guess my process is, like, I come up with ideas for stuff. I sit down and start working on them. I feel totally delighted with myself and <laughs> convinced of my own genius for the first day that I'm working on it, and then I'm convinced that I'm just a fraud who doesn't know anything. But well, we are convinced of your second. genius. Yeah, we're well. all convinced of your genius. I really genius. appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> well, on,
2: and on that note, we have to wrap up. Okay. We
1: do, but really quickly, though, uh, how much can you tell us about the fourth book? Can you give us like, oh, a, sure. a quick...
0: Yeah, summer, yeah. Oh, this is this is another one where I get to start crying while I'm talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> And that's how we had podcasts. The here, weeping yeah, optimists. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Weeping optimists. So, tell us about your book. So it's about this girl and her mother, um, who have been living in Florida. That the girl has basically lived in Florida her whole life and they moved back up to Rhode Island to go live with the mother's mother, who the girl has really never spent any time with. And the the reasons for doing it are sort of mysterious and unclear, but you know, the, this girl has to leave this life that she's known and that she's loved and go to this cold, strange place with people she doesn't know and a family that she's never heard anything good about and start a new life there. And it's, it's you know, as she's doing it, she uncovers family secrets and the, the dog part of it is she finds a dying pit bull who, you know, who she convinces her mother to let her keep. And so, you know, through taking care of this dog together, they kind of, learn these family secrets and learn know each other in a way that they haven't known before and and kind of learn to engage in the world in a different way
1: that sounds really beautiful
0: that is beautiful well thank you thank you erin for joining us how do we find you uh, well, I live in Crescent Heights. <laughs> okay, not
1: How, how, is, how, how do around. readers find you <laughs> oh, online? Oh,
2: I i clarify, not how to stalk you. How to be, well, if you have a dog, just come to my
0: house and knock on the door. <laughs> and otherwise, uh, I am on Facebook, where I am, you know, probably on Facebook too much. <laughs> it's just, um, Aaron Greenwood, A-R-I-N Greenwood, G-R-E-E-N-W-O-O-D, and on Twitter, um, Oh God, every time I say my Twitter (laughs) handle, I'm just filled with regret. I chose my Twitter handle back when I did not realize I would actually ever use Twitter, Um, but it's A R I N underscore twit. Isn't that fun? <laughs> that is fun. and we'll Take be, me seriously, please.
2: It <laughs> will be in the podcast notes, yeah. too, how to reach Aaron. So we want to thank you again yeah. for joining us. Thank this you is, for having me. You are most welcome. This is Drinking With Authors. I'm Erica Leas.
1: And I'm Austin Scott Collins.
2: And we'll see you next time.